This is the Small Mouth Crush Podcast. If you're a hardcore angler, you've come to the right place. This is a weekly podcast that will interview some of the top smallmouth bass anglers in North America. Travis and his guest will discuss what it takes to consistently catch big smallmouth, and you'll get a glimpse inside the mind of a trophy smallmouth angler. And now, here's your host of the Smallmouth Crush Podcast, Travis Manson. Hello and welcome to the Smallmouth Crush Podcast. My name is Travis Manson. Here we are again talking smallmouth bass with the top smallmouth bass anglers across the country. It's been an awesome experience. I hope you guys are really enjoying this podcast as well as the viewers here on my YouTube channel, Smallmouth Crush. A lot of great information, overwhelming at times. So many great anglers. But I'm going to say we have a treat tonight because arguably could be one of the best smallmouth bass anglers on the planet. And I'm super excited. Uh, Steve Clapper is going to be joining us shortly. And we're going to talk all about smallmouth fishing. And hopefully he's going to give us a couple tips that we can take to the water this season and help us put some more smallmouth in the boat. But before we head over to Steve, let's talk about the real shot. Of course, the real shot carries all the most wanted bass tackle that a smallmouth crush fan could ask for. You guys know it. Top brands, Mega Bass, Jackal. Z-Man, Shimano, Dirty Jig, St. Croix, Rod, so much, so much to choose from. Easy to shop website, same day shipping. Make sure we get all your bass tackle before your next big bass adventure or your next bass tournament. And if you head on over there and mention Smallmouth Crush 15, that's going to be the uh, the secret code, the promo code to get you 15% off your first order at therealshot.com. So go over there. And check it out. And let's bring on our next guest. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Man, this is great. Great to be here. This is this is gonna be some really good information here, Steve. I, I would I gotta ask you right off the bat, how many smallmouth have you caught in your life? I mean, can you <laughs> can you just round up to the nearest thousand? Can you do that? Uh no. Just I'm just gonna say lots. lots so just like- lots. When you come to the dock after a good day and the guys ask you, how many did you get? I just say lots. Lots. Uh, you, you know, hopefully say lots. We'll put yeah. it that Man, you've been in the, uh, you've been fishing tournaments for a very long time. You're very successful. There isn't too many people that have a track record like yourself out there. Uh, for folks that don't know, basically you dominate, and, and maybe you fished outside but, uh, of that region, but Lake Erie really, I would say, is your home body of water. Steve, if you could just give us a quick little background or introduction about yourself, um, you know, where you where you fish in the past and kind of where you're at today. Sure. Well, uh, I'll tell you, I, I, I live in Fort Clinton. I moved here uh, a little over a year ago, a year ago Thanksgiving. And uh, I'm married to uh, the most wonderful woman in the world because she's put up with me for 53 years. Mm. Uh, And the deal of us moving up here, she was uh, wanting, she said, you you drive back and forth too much. Uh, You know, that's, she says, I know you come home when you're tired and you can't hardly stay awake. And we started looking for a home. And we looked about a year and a half, and we run onto these, uh, I call them toy houses. There's 
six of us in a line that that faced the were just across the street from the water, and there's six on the other side that face uh, 163. We're just just outside of Port Clinton, and mm-hmm. there, uh, <laughs> my wife, uh, she took a beating on this. We downsized the house and we upsized the garage. My garage is uh, uh, a giant. In fact, I, that's where my office is here. Uh, my motor home's in here. My boat's in here. Some tubs and tubs of tackle that, you know, I, I won't live long enough to use it all. But I, I just, when I moved, I, I had built a house back in Lima, which was two hours away. And I, I built it 46 years ago, 47 years ago now. And, uh, boy, what you accumulate in 47 years is unbelievable. And I had a lot of sentimental things that I didn't want to let go of. And, yeah, Lake Erie's been my uh, my love, we'll say. And uh, finally got to move here. Uh, I, I have fished out of here. I've fished all down uh, the lake shore, really, all the way down to Buffalo. And I've fished the Canadian shore down to uh, Erie Bay, Long Point. Well, really, the whole shore. Lake St. Clair, of course, tons of lakes in Michigan. I've fished tournaments on uh, Champlain and around in the south. Pretty much, uh, I, I was a, a construction superintendent, and they had a, a deal, your age, your uh, year of service. You have 80 points, and I was fortunate to have the 81 points when I was 51 years old. And I left. Wow. Yeah, you have some amazing fishing up there. Obviously, Lake Erie, when you think of smallmouth bass, you have to think of Lake Erie. It seems like there's so many great fishermen from that part of the country. There there really is, as far as guys that really seem to dominate and understand smallmouth. When did you actually fish your first, I guess, tournament on Lake Erie? On whether I can remember back that far. <laughs> uh I suppose open tournaments, maybe back in the early 80s, just little little open tournaments. But, uh, you know, it went from there to BFLs. And there was a circuit that uh, a lot of the older guys will know, Larry Williams. Uh, he fished bass and uh, he, 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 made, uh, he made the classic, I think, five or six times. And he finally left that, and he was he and I were partners, and uh, we fished up here for about three years on different little circuits, and we had a blast. It, it was, uh, in fact, he's hoping to come up this summer. I, we haven't fished together for several years, and uh, this coming summer, we're we're looking forward to getting together. So, Steve, as far as you know, obviously you fished in the early eighties. Is there any tournaments that are real, I guess, memorable in your mind that stick out like a, a, whether it be a decent finish or a finish you didn't expect, or perhaps a win looking back on your uh, career out there fishing in these tournaments, what would you say is the number one memory that you have when it comes to competing? That, uh, that's pretty easy to pick that one out, Travis. Uh, I, I won the, the, uh, FLW open at uh, that went went out of the Michigan side uh, over Detroit. That was uh, that was the biggest tournament 
uh, I had ever fished in. It was the first tour tournament that I'd fished in. I'd fished ever starts for years, and uh, but I was uh, the good Lord was with me. I, I uh, was on them, unbelievable well. Was fortunate enough to win that, and that was uh, the biggest tournament by far that uh, that I had ever won. So that was out of the uh, mouth of the Detroit River, right? And you mentioned you were on some good fish. Did you have like a good practice? Did you know going into that event that you were you had a good shot at doing well? Did conditions line up? I know a lot of times. I'm sure you've been on some pretty massive waves in your life. Was there some issues like that or was it just smooth sailing? It was the easiest tournament you ever fished and you won or did you have to work at it? Well, you know, I had some really interesting things happen in that. Uh, I think it was the next to the last day of practice. Uh, I, I had an issue. I had a compressor go out. I have one of the best mechanics in the country down at Dixie Marine, Brian Wolfley. I called him and I said, man, my compressor's out. He said, bring her down. And he said, I'll be there at four in the morning. And so it's, uh, well, from where I was on the river, I'm going to say a good four hours down there. So I took off. I did stop at home for a couple hours sleep and then ran down and he switched it right out, put me a new compressor. I was on my way and I, I got back and ran, I, you know, a nervous wreck after that right before the tournament's going to start and i i was on i was on fishing in two places really well but they were like 17 18 miles apart hmm. and you know what that's like on the big water you're not usually able to correct if you got any wind if you, if you make a, a a move like that it just takes too much time but anyway i i went back Put in about three o'clock in the afternoon, nervous, ran out, never throw the trolling motor down or anything. Went over the spots, dropped my bait, drop shotting. I, I would click the bail shut and they'd be tight. Hmm. So I went to three different spots that was all in this same area. And it was the same way on all three spots. So, you know, that kind of. I kind of made my mind up of where I was going and I was fortunate enough to, uh, it lasted me four days. And when you talk about rough conditions, the third day there was seven footers. And in fact, uh, they had it all videoed and, uh, you could hardly stay in the boat, you know, it was, uh, but they, they still bit. So, uh, it was just, uh, it was a blessing. That's for sure. So seven footers, that's a big deal. Obviously, um, that had to have at least thrown you for a little loop. I know you're, you're probably, you know, built to be in, in those big waves and you're used to it. But, uh, the fact that those fish stayed there for four days and you're able to come away with that win, it has to be an awesome feeling. Walk me through like that last day. Did you know you had a good bag that did you have a good bag right away? And Going back into weigh-in, what were your thoughts um, leading up to, you know, the final day of this event? Well, uh, you know, in those days, the third, the third day, uh, from the, the third and fourth day, you, you, you use uh, one of FLW's boats. And so I was 
in a boat that I wasn't familiar with. It was a smaller boat. Uh, at that time, I had a 522. I've had 522s for many years, but uh, that was a, it had a short trolling motor shaft. <laughs> so, you, uh, and, and believe it or not, I, I, I could hold once in a while, I'd lose that, especially after having a fish. But the last day, it was flat. I, I was I was fortunate. I had a cameraman that I had done a show with Hank Parker, and I had met him. And uh, in fact, after Hank left, he stayed and uh, fished with me for a day up on Saint Clair. Mm. And so it, it was really it was really sweet having somebody that you knew, and he kind of kept me calm that last morning. You know, we had a little issue with batteries on uh you know set up with the uh microphones and so we had to change them out and it was uh it got a little nerve-wracking and i can remember when we went underneath the bridge headed out for the lake and he just said just take a deep breath steve everything's good (laughs) he was right i had uh there was a lot of i say a lot there was 12 to 15 boats that uh, came where I was at, uh, and I was uh, fortunate. My son, uh, he went over on the Canadian side, had a friend over there, and they came out, and they was there and got to watch and photograph the whole thing. The last day was uh, a little trying. I had not caught probably a fish under three and three quarters in the three days that I fished. And that morning, uh, the first two fish I caught, were like two and a half pounders. And it was like, wow, where did you guys come from, you know? But as it went on, uh, and I was catching those fish right then on a drop shot. They were still there after I had a limit, but they, they, they wouldn't bite my drop shot anymore. Mm. And I could see them on the graph. So I backed off, and there's a a deal. I I mean, I I know lots of guys do it, but uh, cracking a tube, and I had a three-quarter ounce head, and I would throw past the hump, and I told the cameraman, I said, they'll bite this. Hmm. And I snapped that, and, uh, you know, I'd snap it like three times real hard, and then just kill it. And when I say snapping, a lot of guys snap overhead. I snap sideways. When I kill it, they just load up on it. That really got my best fish, and I called out those smaller ones. So, yeah, I I knew uh, if if somebody was going to beat me, they, they was going to have to really catch them that day. I think at the end of the second day, they zeroed us. So I think I had a three-pound lead, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, that's on guy catches a giant stringer and 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 that can go away real quick if you don't catch him it, it was pretty I, I felt pretty confident when i came back in uh and it was like i say it was uh, a highlight of my fishing career that's for sure my wife was there my kids were there uh my mom and dad was there uh my mother-in-law so we had a uh a real party that night that was uh it, you know it was unbelievable you know for somebody uh 
you know, that doesn't fish the big leagues all the time, you know, to uh, come away with that. I was uh, very blessed. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that had to have been that had to have been special, you know, to have your family and everybody there, and you worked your whole life for that moment. I can only imagine. So you brought up a, a really good point, you know. Uh, of course, drop shotting, you're really comfortable with this. This cracking of the tube is a technique that's really. It seems like a lot of people, a lot of anglers from Lake Erie region, utilize that technique more than anywhere else in the country, and. It, it has to be effective. Obviously, it, it helped you win that event. Are those two techniques that you pretty much are, are standard for anglers that are looking to fish uh, Lake Erie? Well, uh, you know, there's a number of them that do it, but uh, when it gets flat, you, you know, you, you know you're around them. You, you've got to do something to trigger them. And being in that, this, this was in water that was uh, come up to, 22, 23 out of 26. So, you, you know, you, 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 uh, you got to have a bait with some weight to make them trigger, you know, uh, a jerk bait, you know, in shallower is a big trigger bait, but I, I don't have, although I've come across a few little things that I've learned since then, that's been several years ago that I, that I won that, uh, that, uh, I do some stroking of baits also, I guess, like the old Kentucky Lake fishing, you know, uh, sometimes you can trigger them that way also. Can you elaborate a little bit more when it comes to uh, what you're talking about as far as, you know, stroking some baits, um, what type of baits in particular are you looking at, at when you do that application? Well, uh, I had a buddy call me tonight. He said, now don't give everything up, Steve. Uh, no, there's a, there's, there's a couple of jig, uh, jig baits type baits that, uh, I, I really like to stroke and they, it's not, not something I do all the time, but you know, when you're looking to trigger a fish and, you know you're around them and they they don't want to drop shot they don't want to tube fish slow i'm always looking for something uh that uh you can you can agitate them into biting that really intrigues me calm conditions does that seem to be when you're going to utilize these techniques more than than not yeah i would say more so but uh this fall i caught a lot of fish uh stroke in the bait also it can be uh my my main thing i like in the spring and the fall and and some in the summer I, I love to throw a swim bait in the fall that that is my favorite way to catch them it's just uh it's just something that uh, there's several of us that that fish real late in the year in fact we fish you know into december and, and in fact uh we thought about going one day and I, I didn't, but my friend did. And, uh, he, he couldn't raise it, but that, that was in January and, uh, the water, it was only 34. We had caught him really well when it was, uh, 38, but, uh, he, he wasn't able to, uh, uh to get bit. Do you think you would have been able to, if you were out there? Ah, uh, he, he, 
he knew the spots because he was with me the last time I had been out there. And, and he, he's just a real good friend. His name's Mike Burke. And I met him years ago at uh, a seminar I was doing over in Ashland, Ohio. And uh, he come up and introduced himself. And uh, he only lived uh, 30 miles north of me. I said, where are you from? He said, Finley. I said, well, what are you doing over here? He said, I come to listen to you. And I said, wow. And we've been friends ever since. And it's just uh, one of them relationships that, uh, you know, the, the, the people you meet fishing are some of the best people in the world. And I've been fortunate enough to fish with some of the best in the world. Uh, I've fished with Nixon, Tommy Martin, Hank Parker. Uh, and, and loads of guys from right around here. Uh, well, just like Jared Rohde, you, you had uh, with him. He, he's, he's probably the best drop shot fisherman that I've ever been in a boat with. Uh, he, he is, uh, he's spent unbelievable time on the water, and uh, he, it, it really shows. He, he's really good. Probably best in the Western Basin. Him and Mike Trombley. Uh, Jared Rohde was on, and he is a fantastic angler. If you guys haven't checked out that podcast, that was season um, season one, episode four is when we talked with him. And he loved drop shot, and he talked a lot of bit about it. Uh, Steve, I want to know, what, what do you think your strengths are when it comes to smallmouth fishing You know, throughout the years? Why did you dominate so much in, in these, these events and tournaments? Uh, well, I, I, I have to say as time on the water is, uh, and I'm sure most guys can uh, testify to that. I, I uh, you know, I, I fished before there was GPS. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I started with, you know, of course, a compass. And then I, I got on Loran. And my, my first time, you'll like this because I know you. Uh, like uh, up to the uh, St. Lawrence, my first trip out was out of Kingston. This Loran was my first trip. And, you know, I, I uh, when you get out there, you can't see the shore. And I'm hoping that's Loran, you know. I, I had, in fact, my wife, she, she kind of, uh, while I was practicing, she was delving into how how you use that. And she was getting me set up, you know, so, but it's kind of a, a scary thing when you, you're not, you're not sure of a piece. And, 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 you know, uh, I, I guess, uh, through the years, you know, I started with a GPS and I put one on the front, which I know Zona thought was crazy at first, but he saw that it wasn't. Hmm. And, uh, you know, everybody has them up front and uh, on the console. And but to say why I I did, I, I guess it's just the love for it and the time I spent. I just had that desire. You know, I, I had, it was two hours. It was two hours to come up here uh, to the Port Clinton side, and it was two hours to go to uh, like Elizabeth Park over at the mouth of the river. So, uh, you know, I let the wind depict where I was going 
and uh, a lot of tournaments, you know, went out of Elizabeth Park. Uh, and uh, I mean, I fished them up on St. Clair too. I, I I like fishing St. Clair. I it's not my cup of tea. I, I like it when you get on them. Mm. I don't really like hunting them out there though because of the lack of structure. Lake Erie just uh, meets my uh, cup of tea, you might say. The structure. I, I love, I, I, you know, there's a lot of, uh, we'll call it drifting and draggers, you know. And uh, I, I'm sure everybody knows Joe Baylog. Joe Baylog and I fished tournaments together for several years. And Joe's the same way as me. Uh, if, if you ever seen me with a drift sack out, you knew I was in trouble. Hmm. I, I wasn't catching. And I, I haven't had a drift sock out in years. But not that I haven't been in trouble before. But I, I just, I don't like dragging around. And that's, I, I, I love it when the sun's shining. That puts them on the structure. If it's cloudy. A lot of times they'll wonder, and that's where them draggers would beat your eyes out. I mean, that's that's really that's really good information. I've I've used the drift sock a few times. In fact, the first couple times I fished Erie, that's what I thought everybody was doing. So I had to, you had to have a drift sock if you're going to Lake Erie. I want to know, Steve, in the past eighties, nineties, fishing these tournaments, are you still able to get on? Like today, are you able to go on Lake Erie and catch fish where you've caught fish? 30 plus years ago or how has that changed well you, you know we talk about that a lot there, there's a lot of areas that they don't seem to use anymore and one area i uh i won several tournaments on it uh you know bfls and opens and <laughs> i would run there for a jackpot tournament you know and it was a long run but uh the last several years, I always got to go check it, you know, and it's out of the way, but they just don't seem to use it anymore. And it's one of the best structures on the lake. Uh, it's, it's, it just befuddles me, you know. There's there's some that just keep holding up, but, you know, uh, not near as many as what used to be. You, you uh, well, we'll say a, a summertime tournament, you, you pray that the weather is fit, that you can move around a bunch. Because you may be fishing for five or six bites, and you know, and you only got to catch five, but you know, you uh, you definitely are at at uh, should I say a great advantage if you can move around. I uh, it takes so long in such rough water. I I uh, I got the biggest bass boat they make. I've got a five twenty two D. I've got what I feel is the best outboards made, Mercury. I've been with Mercury for years, and uh, I keep my equipment in top-notch shape. And that you, you just have to do that up here. But you, you know, you have to you have to use your head and not go too fast. And I've seen guys that that you know blow by in start of a tournament and you got four foot waves and when they get there their depth finders going or their trolling motors broke or it just it just doesn't pay off you you, you need to take your time that's uh that's that's always been high on my list 
Yeah, that's really good advice. I can't stress enough the fact that you might have some big fish way, way offshore, 15, 20, 25 miles, sometimes even more. And if you're not taking your time to get there, what's good is your uh, trolling motor when it's hanging in the water. I've been there. I think it just comes with experience. You you realize I'm going to get there eventually. It might take me an extra half hour, but I don't mind cruising at 15 miles an hour with the bow straight up in the air. I'm going to get there. And that's kind of how you uh, how you approach things. So I want to talk about techniques, you know, over the years, how has that changed or, you know, has drop shotting been something you've always implemented or in recent years is that I, I just want to ask, like even Ned rigging. I mean, do you do you tend to try to keep up to current things that are going on? And when you're out there, are you looking for new stuff all the time or do you you know, what do you do when you have so much history and knowledge like? What what goes through your head when you're out there? Well, uh, I'll tell you, I don't get to graph around as much as I like to anymore. My wife will not let me go by myself anymore, which, you know, I, I'll soon be 73. And she said she didn't move up here to live alone. So I I don't go without somebody with me and you know when you got somebody with you they want to catch them you know don't they yes and Mm -hmm. i i don't have that time to idle around now i've got a a good friend that that lives right next to me uh and uh we met each other when i moved up here and and i mean we're right next to one another and we he has a uh five or yeah five twenty one walleye boat i think it's 621 aren't they whatever the big walleye boat ranger walleye boat if we go walleye fishing we go in his boat rick browning's his name very very good fisherman and uh if we go bass fishing we go in mine now he he will he'll stand for some idling around and, and looking that's that's how you find them good spots and i i always used to tell him it seemed like every third year I would get a spot. I'd find a spot that I could win on. They're they're harder and harder and harder to come by. I haven't I haven't, <laughs> I haven't found one of those. Well, I take that back. I did fish a little uh, jackpot tournament with Jared Rohde, and uh, we was on a spot that I uh, we had never fished in a tournament on, and we were we were lucky. We we bagged them really good late in the day because there was somebody else on it when we got there. So we come back late and uh, they, they bit for us and we blew it away. It was just one of them fortunate things, but yeah, it's been a long time since I found one that I could really, really uh, count on. And I don't fish that many tournaments anymore. I've, I've slowed down in that aspect too. Steve, you brought up a really good point. And I, I hope the the listeners caught that. I certainly did because I feel the same way. Your goal, what what Steve just said was his goal is every three years to find a magical spot. And that is so true. I fish Lake Ontario quite a bit in that zone. And it's my goal every year. I, I spend so many hours out there daily. I'm out there every day. And it's my goal to find one new spot a year that's like, magical and some years it doesn't happen but some years it does 
That's such a good point. That's what I think people's mindset should be. You're not going out there and going to idle around for six hours and find the magic spot. It's not like that. I mean, it's hours and hours upon graphing. And when you got a partner, like you're saying, they want to go catch fish. Uh, it can be, it can be frustrating. So that's really important. Walk me through electronics for you. I mean, you've seen them all right from flashers to, uh, I don't know, paper graphs. I, I don't know. And then to, to today's electronics. Well, I didn't have a paper graph, but I, I had flashers and uh, I even put a flasher on after I had mapping system, and, you know, and, uh, you know, 2D sonars. I, I liked if I fished around grass and I, I still, I still love to go largemouth fishing too. I, there was about a, Mm, five or six year stint I would spend a couple weeks in March down to uh, Falcon Lake boy back in the heyday of that that was uh, that was unbelievable but back to the uh, the depth finders I <laughs> my wife about had a fit I I I got I got a uh, 16 HDS live 16 on the console and I had a 12 on the front. I I never did go into buying a pan optics. I I I got wind of uh Lawrence coming out with a good transducer and so I got this thing I I uh, I sold my 12 and I bought another 16 to put up front and I plan on using you know, splitting those screens up and using that 16 for the look ahead, you know. Yeah, I try to stay on top of that. Uh, I, I know one of my, my great friends, Mike Trombley, a, a really good fisherman, he, he put it on his boat. I mean, uh, we fished together one day and, and uh, he would throw off of the structure or something. He said, now, see. I caught that one, and I I never would have known it was there if I hadn't seen it. So you know I I you know where's this going to stop at though? You know I I want to get the uh, transducer, and uh, I haven't got that yet. I, I'm looking forward to using it. You know, it'd just be another tool. I I know uh, I have friends that uh, walleye fishing here is off the wall. I I mean it's phenomenal. And I love the vertical jig them. Uh, and we do some trolling. I'm I, I'm not wild about that, but it it is it it, it puts that meat in the freezer. I will say that. But there's a <clears throat> a friend of mine that runs a prop shop, and he's he's talked to a a fellow that's been vertical jigging them out in forty some feet of water and catching them like twenty feet deep, and he's looking at them with a live scope, you know. And he said it's unbelievable. I watch him eat it. Well, that's that's pretty intriguing, you know, to see him in that deep of water and see him suspended up, and because uh, them suspended fish, as far as bass, you now they're a hard sucker to catch. In my estimation. Yeah, I, I agree that I think you'll be really pleased with, with the sonar today. You know, you know, 2D is what I grew up or, or, you know, doing and fishing. It definitely suited my needs. But now after 
after using forward and live scope, it brings it, it really changes the way you can fish and approach these fish, especially like you're saying, those suspended fish that you might not always see on those graphs. Um, wow, we're we're 40 some minutes now into this podcast. Time flies when you're talking fishing. Steve, I, I want to make sure we get to a couple more of these uh these questions. I mean, I know we could talk for hours. There's so much knowledge that you have when it comes to smallmouth fishing. But I, I want to know if you could only use one bait for, let's say, next year to catch smallmouth. I'm only going to give you one bait. What are you picking up? That's a tough one. Uh, I suppose uh, I, I, I would have to say a tube, uh, although uh, a swim bait would it, it it would be hard between the two you know but a uh, day in and day out through the season uh that's you know they when the water hits 40 degrees i start catching them on a tube that tube it, it, it seems to die off to me in the summertime i mean you can catch them on it but i feel like i can catch them a lot better on a swim bait uh after that 40 degree, once it gets to like a 45 or so, I, I that swim bait takes over and I'll, I'll, I still have a tube on the deck, but I, it won't be, it won't be what I'm looking to, man, when it comes back in the fall and that, and you've been on the drop shot for months and all of a sudden that, that, that tube will kick butt. I, I guess I would have to say, and if I could only do one, it'd be a tube. Yeah, I I can't argue. I mean, see, that's a good that's a good choice. Obviously, tubes put a lot of fish in the boat. I want to circle back. You you mentioned now twice in this interview talking about swim baits, and I haven't been able to to drill you on that yet. So specifically, can you walk us through if you can if you can give up the swim bait you prefer, perhaps the size, the colors, and then are you throwing these deep or are shallow fish, or how are you working a a swim bait what's your what's your favorite way to work a swim bait to catch fish well when the water's real cold i like a swim bait that doesn't have a lot of kick that's really pretty tight once it warms up some i i i'm i i'm stuck on kytex uh and I, i'll fish them all depths there'll still be some fish in different areas that you can catch through the summer but once fall comes around, that's my bread and butter. I, I mean, I, I love to do that. I know uh, I, I've got friends that really like to throw blade baits, and blade baits catch them. Uh, but why, if I can catch them on a single hook bait and have that bite, uh, I, I tell, well, like, Jared Rohde is a fantastic blade bait fisherman. And that's good, but when you're catching them one after another, it takes too long to get them trebles out, and you can ruin your day with the, the wrong flop. And it's a lot easier to pop that swim bait out of there and right back in the water. And I, I, I just love the bite on a swim bait. And I like to fish them deep. Uh, I, deep, shallow, I, I like to throw them in all. That's got to be my favorite thing in the fall, especially. 
Are you using a football head, just a standard head, and your retrieve? Is it more of a drag on the bottom, swimming, a variety of things? Yeah, I, I, I like to grind them in the bottom, in deep water. Uh, you know, using a heavy swim bait. Uh, I, I've used a lot of different heads, and uh, a lot of people think you're crazy, but uh, you, you grind it in there, I, it's uh, it, it's it's an unbelievable bite. Uh, I, I mean, it's... We caught so many this fall, it was phenomenal. I mean, you can have 100-plus fish days, you know, up with a couple, three in the boat. Now, a lot of times when it's when it's real cold, in fact, well, I had one fellow fell out this year. He ended the day pretty quick, but luckily it was almost the end of the day. But I, I wear a life preserver all the time. I'm not as stable as I used to be. I don't have sea legs like I used to be used to have and uh i put it on in the morning and i don't take it off and, and i don't realize it's there it's uh you know just uh one of the uh blow-up ones uh, you, it's I, I i don't i don't mind it at all i i like to uh reinforce that on everybody that goes with me you know and that's that was the only uh the only one that that fell out and he didn't have one on uh, there was two of us, though, got him back in the boat, but it was very cold. He laid down on the floor, and, and we took off, you know, for the bank, and we had quite a little joint to go. So it was, uh, everything was good. You know, he got in, but he he told me, he said, I'm going to have one of those. And he said, I'm going to wear it. That's uh, a good thing to do, especially... Well, this is some really good information, man. I could, again, talk to you forever about smallmouth fishing. There's so much knowledge in your head that we didn't even scrape. And uh, I hope the uh, the viewers and, and uh, listeners of this podcast uh, enjoyed it. I know I have. What are your future plans? I mean, are you still going to fish some, some team events or maybe some big events in the future? Do you have that drive? Well, you know, I, I used to run around and, and fish uh... – you know, the Northern Opens and that, and then go to Champlain and down to Buffalo when they went down there. And But uh, there, there's not any sizable tournaments that uh, that I have seen that's scheduled for here. I, I might jump in a BFL or something like that. Uh, but I, I've done, I'll tell you, I, I, I've really enjoyed taking people that have never got to do it and to see their eyes. Uh, you know, and they've never caught a fish like that. And my big, my big desire this this spring is, I I sold my last boat to a fellow that lived in Kentucky. He had black lung. Had worked in the coal mines, younger than me, but he just went downhill, and he applied to get new lungs and he went to Vanderbilt and had two new lungs put in and I I prayed for him and he's he's a great guy and he just he wanted me to send pictures all the time so I've sent him pictures of our our days on the water and he I promised him I said if you get well enough I'm going to take you this mm -hmm. front that that is what I'm looking forward to more than anything. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, he's uh, he's a great guy, and uh, just had never caught fish like that. And 
I just, uh, I hope that I am able to put him on them, you know? Right. Hopefully you have that opportunity. How about some of the companies that, that supported you through your, um, your uh, career, Steve? I, yeah, I've been with Mercury forever in Ranger, uh, Loomis rods, uh, Shimano reels, uh, back in the day. I still, I, I drop shot with, uh, a couple of Loomis drop shot rods and I've got, oh, I'd hate to say how many casting rods and such, uh, when I years ago, I was on the Loomis Pro staff, and I and I'm just uh, I've got away from buying all that new stuff all the time. My mind's I got lots of boat rash on my reels. Uh, I had to get a couple of rods last uh, winter rewrapped, and uh, I, I've got a great friend that did it that made them look like they were brand new. I was amazed at how you could do that after something was beat to shreds and. I had used braided line to fix a guide, you know, and a super glue. That's how I fix them, you know. They don't look very good, but he was kind of dumbfounded when I took them to him. He said, man, these are beat to shreds. He said, well, see what you can do with them. And he made them like new. So I've been using Lowrance for, for years and years, and uh, I, I've had uh, great, great luck with them. Really looking forward to uh, putting this look ahead on there. You know, it'll be something else. My my buddies that's uh, using pan optics say it's, it it put a whole different thing in my life. He said, oh, "Man, I can't wait to go." You know, he said, it's, uh, "So yeah, I'm looking forward to that." I guess that's about all. I mean, I've had different sponsors through the years, but uh, Ranger and Mercury were the the two main ones, and uh, they've. Uh, the Mercury motors have been phenomenal for me. I'm, I'm running a 250 Verado. You know, it's kind of hard to tell they're running. Mm -hmm. I, I've, I've uh, jumped up on the deck many times and guys have said, are you going to shut it off? They would hear the run water running, you know, they didn't hear the motor running. But yeah, I've been uh, I've been blessed with uh, with good equipment. Yeah, no, no doubt. You have to have good equipment. You have to have good good companies that products that you believe in, especially when you're dealing with those big, big water, big smallmouth, like you have all those years out on Lake Erie and you, uh, there's no doubt you still dominate out there. It's been a pleasure, Steve, talking with you. Uh, I just want to thank you again for coming on with us for, for a short hour talking smallmouth. Well, yeah. And I, and I was, uh, it's a humbling experience for me that that uh you thought enough of me to uh to be on your show i really appreciate it it uh uh it's it's uh, another highlight in an old man's life <laughs> well you deserve it steve thank you so much for joining us and uh thank you viewers and listeners and as always until next time we'll see you guys on the water <laughs> Thanks so much for listening today. Make sure that you're subscribed to the show and follow us on Instagram at Small Mouth Crush. Also, the YouTube channel, Small Mouth Crush. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a five-star rating and comment with a review below. And as always, until next time, we'll see you on the water.